You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. There's so much that I want to say this morning, and <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean the sermon's going to be long. I guess I ought to say that up front. Uh, I find that as I was preparing for this morning, that the message just got a little bit fragmented. I was, uh, I think they were just coming from several places in my heart. So I'm, I'm listening to, to the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm realizing what it feels like is that this vessel, this earthen vessel is overflowing, but it seemed like that, I'm, that there's three, there three sources that are pouring into me all at the same time, and I'm trying to make sense of what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me. So my simple trust this morning is that the Holy Spirit will do in your ears what I may not be able to do with my voice. It's his message. Uh, it's based on his ability rather than mine, because again, it is his message after all. I want to start again here in a little bit of an odd place. I normally start with scripture, but uh, the word I want to talk about first doesn't exist in the scripture. And it, it's word uh, individual. That word, at least in the King James, doesn't appear even one time. But the origin of that word, individual, you sitting there today, occupying the space that you occupy, you as an individual, the, the origin of that word says by its very nature that you cannot be divided. The word, the root word is indivisible. You cannot be divided. Now again, that, that ought to seem pretty obvious because if you were to try to do that in flesh, we know the outcome. That's not going to go very well if you start trying to carve yourself up. Uh, so again, we, we, know that to be, we know that to be simple. We are not to be divided. We, uh, I wrote in my notes here, does one half and one half always make one? Well, mathematically, probably so. But for some reason, I came to the story of Solomon and these women that are fighting over this child. Solomon's suggestion was we cut the baby in half. Would that half plus the other half make a whole baby? No, you see, math breaks down. When it, as I said, talking to the moms, math breaks down when it becomes to matters when it comes to matters of the heart. Something breaks down when we are divided. We are not supposed to be divided. So why bring this up? Why bring up this word "individual" that doesn't exist in the Scripture? Because most of us live by some measure divided against ourselves. Now, I, I see this routinely. I see people that, that, who want their life to be heading in a direction, want things that are good and healthy, and find themselves in turmoil against themselves. Divided. When we, again, were never intended to be that way. <clears throat> we are struggling with something that totally lives within our realm in the presence of God to absolutely resolve. Know that? 
Most of what you're struggling with today, most problems, most of the things that tear at us the most are 100% within your capability in the presence of God to resolve. Now, we don't see that. We don't believe that. We don't often preach that and teach that. But I will assure you, when we're sitting in my office and there's someone in there, and, and they begin to tell me this difficult story that they're going through, and we sang about it here just a minute ago, and in the, in, as, they're, as they're telling this story, hope begins to rise in me. And it will, it will often come out as laughter. And it always strikes them as a bit odd that they're telling me this hard story, this, this turmoil that they're in, and laughter starts coming from me. Well, it's because as, as they speak in the difficulty of their story, hope begins to rise in me because I know there's an answer. I know there's a means. I know by which that resolve can come and the answers can come. Not because of me, but because we expose the story to the Holy Spirit who knows it, who knows how to bring that resolution and to help someone realize that with his power, with his presence, that immediately that question, that issue can be resolved. And I love watching it. I love watching what the Holy Spirit does. But the first thing that I often have to bring, because the Holy Spirit allows me to bring it, is that the answer that you're looking for right now rests 100% within your realm to resolve. I want to tell you that's true this morning. I don't know what struggle you might have. I don't know what battle there might be in your story. But I will tell you often, very often, the means of resolution you already have. Here's a few examples and some of you are struggling with this this morning. I won't forgive myself. Something has happened and you're still holding a grudge, holding on to the hurt of something you've done. The second one, I won't forgive someone else. And it creates this contest. But the resolution of that rests 100% within you. I'm angry at what I have done. I am brokenhearted because someone did something to me. I am worried each one of those things along with a much longer list, causes us to be divided against ourselves. Now, does that seem reasonable? That I would live accepting that I am divided against myself when God created me as an individual to be indivisible. Cannot be divided. And I fully realize, and I, and I admit quite readily, that, that, that we deal, some of the things that we deal with are truly brought on by outside forces, other people, situations and circumstances. Many or many most, however, are fully within our realm to resolve. Yeah, there are things that happen that we can't help and that certainly affect us. But I will tell you, even dealing with those will change. When we, when, we, when we realize I do not have to be divided against myself. The second of these messages, like it was the second bucket that, that seemed to be pouring in, uh, that kind of float around seeking to some way to adhere to these other messages, was equally sim simple and often discussed in this body. So hang on to this for just a second. We are individuals and designed to be indivisible. 
The second piece that we need to add to that is that our indivisible life carries an amazing intrinsic value, an amazing sense of worth that is not given to us by a corporation, not given to us by an office that we hold, not given to us because of a family pedigree, not given to us because of possessions that we own, not given to us grades on a report card or races or games that we have won, that we have a value beyond those things, that we have a value that those things cannot establish. Now, I want us to recognize, and I hope that we can begin to believe how absolutely true that is. But I'll also tell you that there are many sitting here, and the Holy Spirit kept bringing me to this last night. There are many young people, teenagers, sitting here this morning that, are, that do not see themselves by that intrinsic value. Almost everything a child does, especially a teenager does, is measured. Certainly, in, in, it's, I'm not speaking against it by any means, but, but grades and performance is, is, is their daily life. It's very important as parents that we recognize that, it, that we, it, there's an imperative for us to help them discover that intrinsic value. Again, what are you worth this morning? What are you worth? Again, Mr. Hill, there's a red pickup sitting on the corner over there. When you drove that pickup off the lot, what was it worth? It was at least worth what he paid for it, or he wouldn't have paid it. What are we worth? What did he pay for us? The price of one son. One son. Can you imagine that price? What would you have to set on the price of one of yours? You can't do it. You want to know the intrinsic value that you have to our father this morning. It's the price of what he paid for us. Now, I don't know what other value you need. I don't know whatever, what other encouragement and deposits that you need. But at least start with that one. Start with the one that readily admits that what he, what he, our value is what he paid for us. We know this. We say it all the time. We are made in the image of God. Our value gets added to. The fact, that fact alone establishes remarkable value. And I wish we could all believe firmly and solidly what I'm going to say next. God has fashioned us, fashioned you in part with a distinctive imprint upon your life that doesn't look like anyone else's. There is a distinctive imprint on you. What happens when that imprint gets divided the picture is destroyed the imprint no longer works it's an imprint that no one else carries and he tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made go with me quickly to psalm 139 we need to get this we need to, to know leaving here today what does god say how does god feel about me 
Because this is our greatest defense against anyone who would try to tell us that we are less than what he has made us. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It, it was beautiful to read, but it would just take too long. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. You understand my thoughts afar off. Verse 5. You have beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knows right well. Verse 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I want to tell you, I don't know how you could read that. As, these method, as this message was given to David, to understand how God feels about you. So let's, let's leave that. That was true of David. It's true of us today. So we have this first piece that says we're designed to be one, indivisible before God, that he has he's created an imprint on us in that oneness. But also that, that, that it's extremely valuable that we are precious to him. Hold on to those two pieces. So now the third part. If you turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. We know this story very, very well. It's the basis of so much ministry that occurs in this church. As the Lord was many years ago now, this is the basis of much of the ministry. Genesis 25, and I'll begin reading with verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac. Abraham's son. Abraham get Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, and the daughter, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two, manner of, of, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when the days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like a, like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau, and after that came his brother up. And his hand took hold on Esau's hill, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Let me tell you, that's a formula right there for disaster. Playing favorites in a family won't ever lead anywhere very well. So this is an amazing story of the Old Testament and filled with relevance for you and I today. We recognize first that after 
the great deceit of Jacob's life. He had stolen the birthright, and then he actually stole the blessing from Esau. And so that was coupled with Esau's anger at his deceit and subsequent threat to kill Jacob. And because of that threat, Rebekah, their mother, sent Jacob away. Well, on the journey, when, when Jacob was running for his life, he had an encounter at a place called Bethel, the house of God. So we read how this man, now on the run, had an amazing encounter with God. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile these situations where I, where I am? How do I reconcile where I don't forgive myself or I haven't forgiven someone else or I'm angry at myself or I'm angry at someone else? How do we reconcile those? How, how can that be accomplished? Because I tell you what, the world, even the Christian world, desperately needs to know how that happens. How do we reconcile these, these broken moments, these broken pieces of our life? Because I know my own story. I'm fairly certain that you may have them as well. Jacob has an encounter with God. We get to read of his dream at this, he's asleep, and we get to read of this dream in this ladder, and the angels are ascending and descending from heaven on this ladder. And I don't have to be very creative in that Old Testament story to realize that's telling us of a New Testament truth. We will have access to those things of heaven. You and I today have access to the Father. You and I have access to, to the Son. You and I have access through the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is that ladder that gives us access, ascending and descending, and closes that gap between us and heaven. Access is fully made in the Holy Spirit. He made a way so that that ladder could lean onto our hearts and lean into the things of heaven. For this man carrying a broken story and a broken identity, he desperately needed an encounter. And I will state clearly, and I will state absolutely, that there will be no real healing in any story until we, you, have an encounter with God. It won't change. You can try many times. You can start over dozens of try times trying to resolve something, but I will tell you absolutely, in relationships and situations, even within ourselves, there will be no true healing until you have an encounter with the God who made you. And again, we understand something. We, we talk about it so often. If I were to ask many believers, most believers, to take a test, I could write out 50 multiple choice questions about things of the Bible. And most people could answer those questions with relative accuracy, as long as I didn't just make it too or too hard. But what if the second part of that test said, I want you to write an essay and describe five times that you have had an encounter with God. There's no way to explain what happened to you except you had an encounter. I will tell you most would struggle. And many even talking about their salvation experience would make it a clinical description that says, well, they said this and I said this and I prayed and this is what happened. 
never truly describing an encounter. I will tell you that until there's an encounter with the God who loves you, the God who created you, the God who saved you, until there's an encounter, that healing will persist. I mean, the the brokenness will persist. The healing will not come. Jacob had to have an encounter with God. It will be absolutely no different for you and I. Jacob is living that divided life because we must, we, we have to know that he's present in our story. I shared this at a funeral a few weeks ago, but at, at Easter, our, our granddaughter, Emmeline, was at an Easter egg hunt. And somebody decided that it was a good idea to bring their dogs to the Easter egg hunt. Uh, I'm not going to I could step really up on a platform. I'd just stay right down here. Emmeline was terrified of the dogs. So where do you think this frightened child would stand for comfort? Hung desperately onto her father's neck or was constantly up in her mother's arms. I will tell you, if you don't know he's present, where are you going to stand in the middle of trouble? If you don't know he's present in your story with a full encounter, where are you going to stand when you are afraid? Who's going to hold you if you don't know him personally, intimately, where there is actually an encounter that you can describe? Also, we must know as Jacob did, that God was always in pursuit. Do you know that about you today? Do you know that there's not a place where you go that God is not going to be moving with you, ahead of you, after you, because he is constantly in pursuit of you? He made a promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So even when you try to run, even when you try to go away, when you get into the biggest message that you can possibly find yourself in, guess who is pursuing your heart? Guess who is pursuing you? Always you have to know that the Father is relentless in his pursuit of you. I mean, he is hot on the heels of Jacob. He has something that he wants to do, restoration he wants to bring, deliverance that he wants to give, and he is hot in pursuit. We have a series of messages back there a few weeks ago from the song I will rescue you I will send out an army to find you you can't hide I'm coming to get you there is a ladder leaning against our broken hearts and there's a ladder leaning against our twisted minds because he's coming to get you his aggressive pursuit is simply uh, to catch us and tell us what he sees when he looks at us What's he going to do with catch you? What did he do with Jacob? He held up the mirror and said, Jacob, you're no longer Jacob. This is interesting. I know what I teach about why God would ask Jacob, what is your name? But we're dealing with Jacob and some real brokenness here. When he went in to Isaac, And he put the sheep's skin on his arms. 
when he went in, when, when Isaac asked him, who are you, what did he say? He said, I am Esau. Guess who knew that? The father knew it. You ever been caught in one of those moments by your parents like, oh. And here God is and says, okay, let's get this clear. What is your name? Because the last time I heard you say it, you said Esau. Let's get clear. Your name's Jacob. You're a liar and you're a thief. What a moment. What a moment. What an encounter that Jacob had. After the communion, after this time he had with God, after this encounter, what comes next? If we're going to reconcile vision within ourselves, what has to happen next? Husbands and wives, friends with children, where there's division, there must be an encounter. And then what happens next with, with Jacob? There had to be a reunion with his brother. Why the encounter? Because the reunion, the reconciliation was critical in the healing. Go with me to Genesis 33, just for a couple of verses. Genesis 33, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. And he said, what meanest thou all this drove which I met? See, what Jacob's doing, he's going home now, and he knows he's going to meet Esau, so he's been sending gifts trying to appease Esau's anger because the last words he heard was, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And this is what Jacob thinks he's going back in, in to meet. So he's been sending these gifts, trying to get Esau's heart softened so maybe he won't kill him. So he's preparing for this. But this is Esau's answer. What is, why are you sending me all this stuff? And he said, these are by grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, no. I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. Who is this he's talking about? This is his brother that he was concerned about that was going to kill him. What's happened? He's now saying, I have looked into your face and I have seen the face of God. As though I had seen the face of God and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. Jacob seen within Esau the face of God. Many of you know that uh, the last weekend uh, we went to, uh, two weekends ago, we went to East Texas to see my brother. Many of you know that story. It was an odd story because I could never pinpoint where the brokenness was or if there was any. We just seemed very estranged. We didn't talk often. We didn't share any information. It was just, it was just very odd. 
and it had grown very difficult for me not to judge him. I couldn't make sense of what was going on. I couldn't make sense of why there were no phone calls, why there were no texts, why there was no contact. I couldn't make sense of it. And with everything that happened, judgment and judgment and judgment. And I would begin to draw conclusions about him. And they weren't always just harsh, but they were, they were conclusions that seemed to fester and foster separation. And a few months ago, I shared some of this, but a few months ago, I had an encounter with God. And God was very clear. The Holy Spirit was very clear. The number one thing you preach in this church is not to judge. Don't judge. It causes you not to be able to see clearly. Don't judge. Don't judge others when they walk in. Don't judge you know, each other as when you, when you just first meet someone. There is no great value. There is nothing true that comes out of the judgment. Don't judge. And the Holy Spirit brought that encounter. And the judgment stopped. I tell you, it was just like it was instant. When the judgment stopped, what God said about my brother is that he has been the silent champion of your family since he was a child. I got to see in him the face of God. I got to see him the way God sees him. So we were sitting there on a Sunday evening at his house with my sister and her husband and and my brother and his wife and Jan and I were sitting there. And the conversation turned to that moment. And I told him, Ted, I apologized. I said, I've been judging you. I've been trying to measure and see why these things were not right. I said, the Holy Spirit, the minute that the Holy Spirit told me that you were the champion of our family, the silent champion, that you held all the spirits, you know what no one else knows. And your silence has been a protection for us all. And the tears and the relief and the healing that came and I can just, I can really only paraphrase his response. He said, I wondered if anybody would ever notice. I wondered if anybody would ever know. I can tell you it was a dynamic moment. There was an encounter with God first. And we drove away from their house on that, on that Tuesday, having enjoyed Believably that weekend. Just the air clear, the fragments back together, the joy of a, of a brother, of a sister, and of our family, and this missing them as we were driving away, which hadn't felt in years. I had an encounter, but there had to be healing with my brother. Jacob had to go meet Esau. The encounter is powerful, but the encounter allows the freedom, the clarity, so that we can see in the person that we may be opposed to the most, that if, we'll, if, we'll, if we in, meet God first, we will, see the, we will see in the other the face of God. 
very quickly, the third thing that had to happen after that reunion, the next thing was that we now have to transfer as adults, as parents. We watch as Jacob transferred what he had to his children. The third thing in bringing true healing, long-lasting, redemptive healing, true restoration is that we must transfer that freedom. We must transfer that blessing. We must transfer our witness, our trust in God to the next generation. If we don't, they're destined to repeat our story. If we don't transfer truth and trust, if we don't transfer healing and restoration to those children that we're raising, and I, you know, very, after hearing Lacey's sermon when he, when he filled in for me two weeks ago, I kept being kind of bombarded with thought that unfortunately in, in our day and time, most parents are raising children. What should you be raising? You should be raising men. You should be raising women. There's a world of difference between raising a child and raising a man, raising a woman. You will, you will raise a child to play. If you continue to raise a child, what will that child do as an adult? They'll play. If you recognize today as, as a father and mother, I've got a responsibility to raise a man. I've got a responsibility to raise a woman. I will tell you our heart will change in the process. And one of the things we will absolutely know almost immediately is that I have a responsibility to transfer that which I know, the trust that I have, those truths that I have received to that next generation and to the generation after that. The story's not complete because I don't want my kids, I don't want my grandkids to live in the brokenness that I just came out of. If I don't tell them this story, if I don't share with them the power of God's love, I am destined to let them repeat my broken story. So Jacob, this is in, I think in chapter 35. At Genesis 35, just verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, back to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fled from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me the day of my distress and was with me in the day which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all their strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Jacob knew I've got to transfer this story to my children. It's a great responsibility, a tremendous privilege, and it's never, ever, ever too late to do it. You want to know how to keep from being divided against yourself, divided against others, whole, 
to recognize and see the value that God has about you, that he spoke from the very beginning, you'll discover it in the encounter. And it will cause you to act toward those brokenness exists so that you now can have a legacy to tell your children about what God has done. Lord, we thank you this morning that you, that you have given this message. I don't know all how it needs to hit hearts and minds. I don't know where all it lands. But my suspicion is, God, that there's a landing for this message in every heart because most are still living in some manner of division. I pray, Lord, this morning that they have heard, we have all heard what you have come to say, to have a communion and encounter with you, to let encounter bring us to the others around us for healing and restoration, and then let us pass it to our children. Let them hear the stories of reconciliation, of your power, of how you love and forgive, and how you restore and build. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be here at this moment to let you minister the way you choose to. We have no plan. We have no direction that this is supposed to go. This is your time in dealing with our hearts. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.